Hi everyone, welcome back to Logical Bible Study, the Catholic podcast where we take a look at the scriptures from today's Mass and we try and have a look at the literal sense of the text. What's going on on the most fundamental textual level? What is the author trying to convey to their audience? That's what we're all about in this podcast, helping you understand what the Word of God really means. And today we're looking at the last part of Matthew chapter 13. So Matthew chapter 13, verses 54 to 58. Coming to his hometown, Jesus taught the people in their synagogue in such a way that they were astonished and said, Where did the man get this wisdom and these miraculous power? This is the carpenter's son, surely. Is not his mother, the woman called Mary, and his brothers James and Joseph and Simon and Jude? His sisters too, are they not all here with us? So where did the man get it all? And they would not accept him. But Jesus said to them, A prophet is only despised in his own country and in his own house. And he did not work many miracles there because of their lack of faith. So, having finished the previous parable section in Matthew chapter 13, Matthew now begins a new section of the narrative. So we're going to have a few chapters here of Jesus doing things, of narratives. Verse 54, coming to his own country. So Jesus is coming from Capernaum and he's going to Nazareth, his own country where he grew up. Everyone knows him in Nazareth. This is the first time he's been to Nazareth since the arrest of John the Baptist, which was really early on in chapter 4, verse 13. It was the last time he was there. To get from Capernaum to Nazareth, it's about a 10-hour walk. So he probably just did it in one day. It's possible that Jesus stayed here for a few days. Uh, Mark's account tells us that his preaching happened mostly in the synagogue. And so he might have stayed there uh, for a few days before the Sabbath, which is when most of the synagogue preaching would have happened. So he probably spent a bit of time here with his family. It says Jesus taught the people in their synagogue. So teaching in the synagogue, the synagogue was like the local parish hall uh, where they had religious instruction in the Old Testament. It could be done by a local regular teacher or a traveling preacher, usually on the Sabbath is when most of the town would gather to hear that. Jesus had been preaching in other synagogues in Galilee by now, but he has apparently not preached in his own town in Nazareth yet, which is what is striking about this scene. He's come home and he's now preaching. And it says he preached in such a way that they were astonished. This is not an expression of amazement. It's not a good astonished. It actually seems to be that they're suspicious of him. They're suspicious of his preaching. We don't know entirely everything that he preached, but we know that one of the things that he does on this occasion is he reads from uh, the scroll of Isaiah. So if you look at Luke chapter 4, this is apparently the same scene where Luke... um, reads from the scroll of Isaiah and he says, this day the scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. You probably know that scene. So that all apparently happened at the same time. And so they say to themselves, this is the crowd in Nazareth, where did the man get this wisdom? So they're impressed by his teaching. They see that there's wisdom in what he's saying and they recognize possibly that it comes from God, maybe. But the astonishment they have, it's not a positive reaction like in other places. This is a negative reaction. They seem to see Jesus' wisdom and power as inappropriate. They think it doesn't make sense. 
So you could say that they're asking the right questions, where did this man get the wisdom, but with a sceptical attitude. So they're asking the right questions of Jesus with the wrong attitude. And where did he get these miraculous powers? So they apparently acknowledge that Jesus can do miracles, but they just can't comprehend how he can be doing it. They're not willing to accept that this Jesus, who they grew up with, is indeed empowered by God. So it's kind of like an indignant skepticism. Verse 55, they say amongst themselves, this is the carpenter's son, surely. So Jesus lived in Nazareth for approximately 30 years, and he learned to be a carpenter from his father, Joseph. So they know him as the carpenter's son. That's what he's been doing most of the time when he lived in Nazareth. Now, interestingly, the word here for tecton, which is translated carpenter, it can be translated builder or craftsman. So we're not 100% sure that he was a carpenter. He might have just been a general builder. So what's the issue here? Why can't Jesus be both a carpenter's son and a preacher empowered by God? Well, in that culture, they had this radical separation between the religious elite and the common man. They said you're either one or the other, but you're not both. So the Jewish people trusted their religious leaders, like the Pharisees, and they couldn't comprehend how a simple carpenter could suddenly become a religious messenger. That's not how their society worked. That didn't make sense in their view. Now, they call him here the son of Mary. It's an interesting title because in that culture, you would usually be called son of and then the father's name. So it would have been more natural to call Jesus the son of Joseph because they certainly knew who Joseph was. Why do they call him the son of Mary? There's three possible explanations here. It might be that a lot of Nazareth knew that Joseph was not the father of Jesus. Maybe Joseph told them that while he was alive. He said, this man, uh, this boy is uh, from God. So that's one explanation. It could also be that uh, it's maybe like an insult, a slanderous slur, which focuses on the fact that Mary was not married when Jesus was conceived. So it's the son of Mary, but he's kind of like a bastard child. Maybe that's sort of what's behind it. But the most likely option here for why they just call him the son of Mary is because Joseph has died and he's been dead for quite a while. So that's why they call him the son of Mary, because Mary is alive, but Joseph is not alive anymore. And then there's this fascinating phrase, which is often used to argue against Catholic teaching. They say, are his brothers not James and Joseph and Simon and Jude? So they list the names of four men who are apparently known as Jesus' brothers. Of course, the Catholic teaching is that Jesus did not actually have any biological brothers. So we need to unpack this a bit. So the word brother that's used here in Greek is adelphos. And the first thing to say about that is adelphos was used quite loosely in that culture, as it is in many places today. So if you go to places like Fiji, for example, they'll call someone brother or cousin who is not literally their biological brother or cousin. And in the Middle East, in the ancient Middle East, where Jesus lived, that was very common to call someone brother who is not actually your brother, but probably some sort of close relative. We also see that he has sisters here. So who are the brothers and sisters of Jesus? They're mentioned several times in the New Testament. We're never given a full answer of who their parents are. So we don't know entirely their identity, but we'd have a few clues that point us in the right direction. So obviously the church teaches that Mary remained a virgin her entire life. So they can't be children of Mary if the Catholic tradition is correct. And as evidence for that Catholic tradition... 
on the cross, Jesus gave Mary to the Apostle John. It would have been more natural to give his mother Mary to brothers and sisters, if he had brothers and sisters. They would be the natural people to look after Mary after Jesus is gone. But apparently he doesn't have any, and that's why he gives his mother to John's care. So Joseph has apparently died by the time Jesus is saying this, so Mary must be living with some other relatives. If you look at Mark's gospel closely, it's pretty clear that Mary lives in Nazareth and she lives with relatives who also live in Nazareth. So Mary has relatives in Nazareth. Who are these relatives? Possibly blood relatives of Mary. Now we know that these four people, these four brothers, James and Joseph and Simon and Jude, are not full siblings of Jesus. We know that for sure because later in the Gospel of Mark, and this is also in later in the Gospel of Matthew, we learn that two of them, James and Joseph, actually have a different mother. Their mother's name is Mary, but it's not Mary, the mother of Jesus. So they have a different mother. The Gospels tell us that. Many in the early church believe that this other mother might be the wife of Cleopas, and she also might be a relative of Mary. So uh, Mary... Jesus' mother. All of these facts fit together nicely. It could well be that this other Mary is a close relative of Mary, the mother of Jesus, and they all live together in Nazareth. Mary, the mother of Jesus, lives with her close relative Mary and Mary's children, uh, James and Joseph. So if that's correct, the brothers and sisters mentioned here are roughly Jesus' cousins. That's actually what the gospel seem to point towards. These are something like Jesus' cousins. There's other views about this as well. Some have thought that maybe they're Joseph's children from a previous marriage. There is a church tradition that says that. Uh, And that probably works as well because we don't know who uh, the father of these two boys are. We just know that their mother's name was a Mary who is not Mary, the mother of Jesus. Verse 56, his sisters too, are they not here at all with us? So we don't often think about this, but Jesus had sisters that he apparently grew up with. So apparently his family is here in the synagogue on this day. It says, are they not all here with us? So they're in the room. They're in the synagogue watching Jesus. Jesus has already encountered his family uh, earlier in chapter 13. They uh, tried to speak to him while he was in the house in Capernaum. And now they're here in the synagogue in Nazareth, which makes sense because Nazareth only had a population of around 300. So if the whole town is there, which they probably would have been on the Sabbath, then his family is probably there as well. So they ask themselves, so where did this man get it all? So this town thinks they already know everything about Jesus. Because they know who his parents are and his brothers and they know what his occupation is, they think they know everything about Jesus. So they can't explain where he got the wisdom and power from. This might be a fulfillment of Isaiah 53 verse 2. That just, um, that's a messianic part of Isaiah. And in verse 2 of Isaiah 53, it says the Messiah will grow up unnoticed by those around him. He will grow up and there's nothing particularly desirable about him, is what Isaiah 53 verse 2 says. It's an interesting connection. Verse 57, they would not accept him, or what it actually says there is, they took offense at him. So here's the issue. Their preconceived ideas about who Jesus is, that becomes an obstacle to their faith. So it's a willful refusal to accept that God is truly working through Jesus. That's dangerous because it closes off these townsfolk to God's grace. Quite interesting, isn't it? Even the place Jesus grew up, they, on the whole, rejected that Jesus was the Messiah. 
And these are kind of like the outsiders described earlier in the gospel. Remember when Jesus is talking about the parables, uh, Jesus says that people who don't understand the parables basically look and see, but do not perceive and hear and listen, but they do not understand. That's an appropriate uh, description of the townspeople in Nazareth here. They're looking at Jesus, but they just don't understand it. They can't perceive who he truly is. So Jesus says a prophet is only despised in his own country and in his own house. Some translations say a prophet is without honor in his own country. So in Jewish culture, family relationships are super important and they think they know their family very well. So as a result, it was quite common, even in the Old Testament, for prophets of God to be less likely to be accepted by family members. Even if the rest of Israel accepted the prophet, often the prophet's own family would struggle to accept them because of the way that those tight family structures worked. And also because it could be a mark of shame. If your son is going around saying, God's judgment is coming, you need to turn back to God, that could be considered a mark of shame for the family, um, depending on what the preacher is saying. So Jesus says here, a prophet is only despised in his own country. And he sort of says this as though, This is a principle they should understand, because if they knew their Old Testament well, they would know that many of the Old Testament prophets were rejected. Even though they were revered by the Jews, they were rejected in their own hometown. Uh, So Jesus, by saying this, indicates that he himself is a prophet. He's claiming to be a prophet. Verse 58, he did not work many miracles there because of their lack of faith. Interesting verse here. So the word here for lack of faith is actually unbelief. So it's like an active unbelief. Matthew uses this this word to describe those who reject and oppose Jesus. Not just those who struggle to believe. Jesus calls them those of little faith. In chapter 6, verse 30, he calls the disciples those of little faith. But here we're talking about a different group, those who actively unbelieve. So it's outright unbelievers. Now, some translations will say, rather than he, he did not work many miracles, some translations say he could not work many miracles, which is actually a stronger claim. So this is an interesting aspect of Jesus' ministry. Something about people's lack of faith in an area means that Jesus cannot do amazing miracles in their town, whether that's because he chooses not to or whether that's because his power is actually suppressed in some way because of the lack of belief. That's not clear, but that is a genuine part of Jesus' ministry that we shouldn't forget. Jesus doesn't just do big miracles everywhere indiscriminately. It does depend on the level of faith in the people's town. So Mark's version here adds, though he cured a few sick people by laying his hands on them. So Jesus does do some small miracles here, like basic healings, but it seems that Jesus could not do anything extraordinary like exorcisms and calming storms that he'd been doing in other places. In Luke's version, if you look at Luke chapter 4, Jesus has more to say here. In the synagogue, he goes on to preach in the synagogue about Nazareth's lack of faith. And you probably know the story. The people get mad at him and they try to throw him off a cliff. So it actually escalates even further here. But this is where Matthew ends the account. So if we turn to the catechism, what does the catechism of the Catholic Church say we can learn from this passage? There's two references here, which are both about Mary, that we can learn from this passage. So firstly, paragraph 495, this is about Mary's divine motherhood. Called in the Gospels the mother of Jesus, Mary is acclaimed by Elizabeth, 
at the prompting of the Spirit, and even before the birth of her son, as the mother of my Lord. So here it lists various titles of Mary. One of them is the mother of Jesus. And we learn that from this passage here in Matthew chapter 13. And then in paragraph 500, this is about how can Mary be ever virgin? And here the catechism actually answers the question about what are we to do with these uh, passages where it talks about Jesus' brothers. So the catechism actually answers this question, which is commonly uh, described as though it's like a um, complete destroyer of the Catholic faith. But the church has actually addressed this numerous times. So paragraph 500, here's what it says. Against this doctrine, the objection is sometimes raised that the Bible mentions brothers and sisters of Jesus. The church has always understood these passages as not referring to other children of the Virgin Mary. In fact, James and Joseph are called brothers of Jesus, and they are the sons of another Mary, a disciple of Christ, whom St. Matthew significantly calls the other Mary. They are close relations of Jesus, according to an Old Testament expression. So here, you um, you should have heard the catechism there reiterating exactly what we said in our exegesis. These were always known in church tradition as close relations of Jesus, but children of another Mary, because that's what the Gospels say. So we'll leave it there for today, and thank you once again for listening. We've finished Matthew chapter 13, so in the coming weekdays, we'll start to look at Matthew chapter 14. Thanks, we'll see you then.